Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Welcome, everyone, to the SI Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Trana. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a two-guest episode for you on this edition. We will first speak to Washington Post sports media reporter Ben Strauss about a variety of sports media news topics, Deadspin, um, ESPN personalities pushing Disney Plus, Stephen A. Smith getting $8 million a year from ESPN, the Don Cherry controversy. We go around the horn and uh, opine on the latest news. And then after that, you're going to hear from Sean Grandy, who is the radio voice of the Boston Celtics in 2001 and a huge, huge, huge WWE fan. Uh, we talk a little basketball and mainly wrestling. And we sort of reminisce about the good old days of wrestling in the 80s. So that's today's podcast last week we had a good one with Kay Adams and Chris Long who are hosting an NFL pregame show for Amazon Prime on Thursday nights uh, very funny podcast with them from last week if you missed it check it out in the archives Andrew Marshan of the New York Post was on as well and um, two weeks ago we had Renee Young and Andrew Siciliano Bomani Jones on recently so check all of those guests out in the archives and please subscribe to the podcast and rate it and review it all right, let's get this week's show rolling right now. Ben Strauss from the Washington Post on uh, the latest sports media news. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. All right, joining me now, a little media roundtable potpourri. Washington Post sports media columnist, Ben Strauss. Ben, how's it going? It is good, Jimmy. How are you? I am well. Um, wanted to discuss some media stories. Um, let's start with, with this one because I just checked this right before we, we started to tape. The last post on Deadspin.com was November 4th. We are taping this interview on November 13th. A lot of people have asked, is Deadspin dead? I ask you, is Deadspin dead? Well, I think Deadspin as we've known it for 15 years is dead. Um, I, I wrote a little bit about Deadspin a couple of weeks ago as, right. as the heat of the resignations and um, you know the really dramatic sort of end of the site um, happened. And, and uh, the, the PR, the GOPR folks said they are actively looking for uh, new writers. And what's happened since then, though, is you had a one writer, there was a freelance writer from Chicago who wrote a post for Deadspin and then was totally, you know, sort of shot down, dismissed, ridiculed on Twitter for being a scab, for going to write for that site. And even since then, you've had the editorial director, Paul Maidman, um, you know, who's sort of the go-between between the writers and um, the CEO, Jim Spanfeller, resigned. Right. And so uh, who are you going to get to write for the site? Who's in charge of it? I, I don't I don't know. I don't. I really don't know if you can put that all back together. And 
you know, those writers um, did exactly what they wanted to do. They, they wanted to leave the house and burn it down. And uh, to their credit, or um, to the means of, or to the end of what they meant to do, I, they may have done it. Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, for a little while there, for a few days, the posts were going up with no by after after what you mentioned the the writer basically getting hired and quitting within an hour. Uh, after that, for a couple of days, they posted stories with no byline, just deadspin as the byline. And now nothing has gone up, like I said, since November 4th. Hard, it's very hard to imagine any scenario where they can put this back together. Who's going who's gonna to write? Right. I mean, you'd have, to, uh, you'd have to not, I mean, you'd have to keep using deadspin bylines and, and then pray it all dies down, which, I mean, I think, you know, I do think people forget things quickly, but that one might be hard to to do now. It might be too late. It might be too late. I guess it is sort of an interesting test for sort of the um, shelf life of internet outrage. Right. Well, in I mean, one sense. Yeah. And I, I guess in the other sense, it's sort of how um, the the connection that you know a lot of readers had to Deadspin and sort of what. Um, you know, people in the media, right? If another post pops up with a byline, like how much um, of that same, like, you know, burning rage that was from a couple of weeks ago will, you know, bubble up right. three weeks from now or and, three months from now. And I, I, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, this could be a completely ridiculous comparison, but, you know, there were two days there where everyone just was apoplectic about LeBron James, his legacy's ruined, he's tarnished his legacy, he's this, that, and the other thing. And then the season started, and, you know, he had a triple-double one night, and everyone was back to, you know, this is the greatest show on earth. So the shelf life for yeah, outrages comes and goes. There was, a, there was a great piece in BuzzFeed not that long ago that's sort of about our sense of time mm -hmm. and how the last decade has warped it. Oh, I meant to and, read that. Yes, thank you for reminding me of that. I have to read that. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, but it's really, I mean, I guess this is sort of an interesting, it's, it's exactly what we're talking about, sort of how long does that cycle of outrage last? And right, like today, uh, we're taping this on um, Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> and right, we have impeachment hearings. And so how, like, what is the, outright cycle and what is the the lasting effect of any news story in you know the environment we're in where you know every two days every three days even shorter time periods that's what the news cycle is right well, since we're talking about outrage cycles and outrage it, it brings me to something that was I, I thought more humorous than something that was um to cause outrage but on tuesday when disney plus launched ESPN had their talent out there shilling as hard as they could possibly shill. And I wrote about it uh, in Train of Thoughts, and I found it very comical that... Well, I mean, I found it embarrassing that Adam Schefter would say it was going to change lives, and then I just found the the group the group uh, tweeting, I found um, more ridiculous than anything. And then, of course, right away, people are, you're angry, you're mad. Someone accused me of writing it as revenge because I'm mad that ESPN came out with the body issue to come compete with the swimsuit issue um you know you can write about things and call things ridiculous without being outraged i can't really say like when i left the office yesterday and i went home i was like you know pounding my fists about espn having their people try to you know suck 60 699 a month out of 
people. You know, so I there's the outrage, and then there's also just you know you make an ob- you can make an observation without being outraged. Um, what did you make of the the ESPN push to sell their Disney app? Yeah, I think I think sort of humorous is probably the right word. I, I think a little off-putting, um, probably right, maybe a little it. obsequious. Yeah. But what was what was sort of weirder um, than the fact that that um, all the tweets went out is that they had like the same language, right? And so because that shows you that those that, people didn't really want to do it, right? It was like <laughs> it was inauthentic, right? right. Twitter is supposed to be this place where whatever it is, it's authentic. It's you. Um, I think that it was all the same tweet was what made it sort of, you know, weird and a little Shilly. off-putting. Yeah. Shilly. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I mean, in a larger sense, you know, I guess it, it doesn't, it, or it makes perfect sense that of course. You, Disney or your friend would want Adam Schefter with his millions of Twitter followers to promote this, you know, defining moment for right. a Disney company, right? Right, right. Well, I think we, um, I think you you explained it perfectly. If you come out and you say, "Hey, you know, Disney's launching this app, and it's got this movie and this show and that movie and this movie," you know, that's fine. But like you said, when everyone's tweeting the same language, that means there was an email sent from you know PR, and they didn't really want to do it, so they just copy and paste it and sent it out. And then you get to the other extreme, which is Adam Schefter just completely embarrassing himself and saying he's going to change lives. So right, you sort of invite people to yeah. make fun of you when exactly. everybody tweets the same thing but yeah but like at espn right like when they launch a new show or something like a lot of people get on board and tweet about it you know from espn or right you know i mean i don't think the idea that you would want to you know promote this event is particularly weird or even necessarily nefarious right just the way they did it was right like they kind of deserve to get made fun of the one thing twitter does not have patience for is things that are inauthentic and those tweets were very inauthentic. I think that's what really caused the hullabaloo. But again, it's a lighthearted thing. It's not really something to be outraged about. It, it's more about like, and I also think, listen, they're ESPN. They're the top dog in this business. Always have been, always will be. So when they have a way where you can sort of take a shot, people like to do it. <laughs> right. I don't think that this was. This is like a thing where, you know, we're going to be worried about it or talking yeah. about it. Right. I think this cycle was pretty short and, We'll all move on. I don't think it's, you know, larger in a bad or, you know, evil or any sort of, right. you know, you know particularly I, negative thing beyond sort of sort of like the funny news of the day. Thing. I, I probably should have checked this before you came on, but I know you wrote you wrote a column uh, in The Washington Post on Wednesday uh, about the future of High Noon on ESPN. I should have checked to see if Bomani and Pablo tweeted about Disney Plus because. You know, if if there's a question about whether your show's going to come back, you might want to plug that app for for uh, for the bosses to see. But um, I, I didn't see if Bomani and, and Pablo were good soldiers, and um, you know, made sure to go in on uh, ESP on Disney Plus. But what um what it was an interesting article uh, that you wrote about it because there is obviously this movement by Jimmy Pitaro. It's been very uh, blatant. And obvious that he, you know, he wants nothing but sports and hardcore sports and nothing but sports, except when you're shilling for Disney Plus. And High Noon, they're not a political show by any stretch of the imagination, but they do venture into some interesting areas that other shows don't. And in some 
you know, weird way that it could end up being their downfall maybe in all this is, is what I took from your, your story. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think you sort of have, you know, a show that, that does, you know, some things really well and some things um, not as all right. Like it's not this ratings juggernaut, you know, um, but it is, you know, sort of, you know, build as ESPN's like highbrow show, right? You know, um, they have good, you know, conversations about NBA in China. And, you know, Bomani Jones had, you know, the viral clip from the summer talking about um, former black NBA players having trouble um, getting coaching and executive jobs because of um, sort of the analytics bent, which favors, you know, the Poindexter's, you know, from business school who can manipulate spreadsheets, right? So it's it's conversations like that, which is definitely not politics, but it's also sort of not like who's going to start, you know, at running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and so it's it's like what in that, you know, afternoon slot, which a lot of times, you know, as people who tell me it's a lot about branding, right? What kind of a brand does ESPN want to be? And a lot of those afternoon shows sort of fill that role. Um and so do you want to have a few extra viewers and have something like SportsCenter? Or do you want to um, have High Noon be your brand? And I, I think it's a, a pretty interesting question when you sort of like weigh all the pieces together. It's pretty it's pretty funny because I had uh, Bomani on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. I think it was just two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. And we, we talked about, and he talked about um, being too smart and coming across as too smart is not good television. And, you know, here it is where, you know, maybe they're trying not to come off as smart. I mean, they are brilliant, brilliant guys, both of them. Unbelievable minds. Uh, and it almost seems like, you know, they know they need to maybe, I don't want to use the phrase dumb it down because that's way too strong. But, uh, you know, Bomani was very clear that, you know, being too smart on TV is not good TV. But I think when you're that smart, you almost can't help it. Right. It's like I, I, the short segments, right? It's it's so different than like hosting a radio show or hosting, you know, a podcasting. You get five minutes to discuss a topic. Right. Right. And so I think it's, um, I mean, that would make a lot of sense just sort of given the medium and, and sort of the way it's formatted. Um, and I think that show started, I think it originally started at an hour. Um, and so there was probably, or the initial intent probably was to have, you know, longer um, discussions or longer blocks about topics. And at 30 minutes, those get shortened. And so, again, you're, you're sort of trying to make nuanced points um, in a really short period of time, which I've never done. Right. <laughs> I imagine I'll never have one, but I could imagine that being really hard. Do you know, uh, switching topics, um, it, it got it got a decent amount of play here. It didn't get a, I, it didn't get nearly the play that it would have if it happened here. But the the Don Cherry uh, controversy, obviously, you know, it's, I would imagine in Canada, it's a you know, it's pretty crazy up there with with that whole story. Um, if to me, if someone here made those comments, they'd probably be fired right away. I think he 
I think it took a couple of days before they got fired, before he was fired. And I'm not, I'm not getting into whether he should have been or shouldn't have been. But he, if you say that on American television, you're going to go. Um, is it? I, I'm just curious though. The the thing I, I, it's weird to me about this story is that he's talking about what people should be wearing for Veterans Day during a hockey broadcast. It, I guess, is it sort of like, I guess I can imagine Charles Barkley doing that here on Inside the NBA. I mean, I could see Charles maybe making, you know, a little point about that. But, um, I mean, Don Cherry in Canada is an icon. Do we know, do you know any, I mean, I don't know how close you felt. Do you know what the vibe is up there? Like, are people upset he got fired? Do people think he should have gotten fired? What's been, do you know the reaction in Canada to this? Yeah, so actually we did a story this week and I wrote it with, you know, the Post's um, correspondent in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the first thing you have to understand is sort of how big a deal Don Cherry is. Right. Like, I was trying to ask people what the um, American equivalent is. And they're really, uh, you mentioned Barkley, I think that might be the closest, but that also totally undersells how big a deal Cherry is. Mm. Like he's been on TV on the Saturday night time slot for 40 years right. and has this leash that nobody else has, right? You said people would be fired for saying that in the United States immediately or for the other things he said on TV. Um, and I think if it's anybody but Cherry, they get fired immediately. But he's, you know, built this, you know, almost like shock jock brand with these like garish suits that he wears and, you know, taking, you know, political stances, um, after he had become like the voice of hockey, like right. there was a there was a, a poll in Canada a few years ago where Don Cherry was ranked, I think, the seventh greatest Canadian of all time, ahead of Wayne Gretzky and ahead of Alexander Graham Bell, who invented the telephone. Like <laughs> he was like a national figure in this singular way, and so I think he sort of like embodies the culture war that you know you can see it's happening in hockey, it's happening in Canada, Canada happening in the United States and right there are people who said that he represented old school values um, both in hockey and you know in the country at large and so those people are furious that he's off the air and then um, other people you know who said the world has changed hockey has changed how can this person be a mouthpiece on you know for the sport and and for the country right it's I mean, th- this is why I say I don't think it got the play in America that I would. I mean, that I would have expected. You have a, you have a guy like you said on the air for forty years, as big a sports institution as you can have. You know, I mentioned Barkley. Barkley's only been doing inside the NBA for I don't know, I think twenty, fifteen. You got Don Cherry there for forty, and the guy now doesn't have a job and he's off TV because he's upset about people not wearing some sort of symbol on their. It's a, it's. If that story happens here, I, that's a twenty. That's like a forty-eight hours straight, people going crazy, nonstop coverage. If that story happens here with someone, yeah, I mean, in, I think in Canada it was right. Every newspaper from Vancouver to Montreal, it was, this was front page news, right? Um, so maybe it's uh, maybe it, it sort of speaks to that what happens in Canada is not you know, big news in the United States, the way that when things happen in the United States, it's big news in Canada. Um, but we, we did a couple stories. And I mean, I know that it was, you know, on our website, it was like, you know, the news of his firing specifically was, you right. know, um, 
pretty well read. So I don't, I don't know like where that audience is coming from. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I, 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 in Canada, like this is a national story. Um, and, and our reporter there said, you know, this is going to be crunch page news, not just on Tuesday when it happened, but right. like all week this week. Um, I probably should have started with this, but maybe it's better I save this for the end because the the last time you were on the podcast, we had a very good um, discussion. I'm not going to use the word argument because it was not, it wasn't, it wasn't um, heated. It was a discussion about Stephen A. Smith. You're you're a Stephen A. fanboy, and I was yes, probably yeah, and I was basically saying I have no patience for it because it's all an act and you know not authentic. Um, and we had a very good, and uh, people on Twitter reacted to that part of the conversation <laughs> a lot. And I, a couple of things I have to say is, I have to say, I you maybe I think you opened my eyes a little bit and softened me up a little bit because since then I've I've warmed up to him a little bit. I have to admit, I, I'm looking at it in a different way now when I see the <laughs> clips. So I, I I think you're the reason for that. And um, I mean, listen. I always knew I was in the minority on it. I, I think you're in the I think you represent the fan, and clearly you're ESPN because he's getting eight million dollars a year now um, from ESPN. I assume you think he's worth every penny. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I do. I do think though. I think it's kind of interesting you say like I'm in the majority. I think at some point there was like a flip right. where, right, like people didn't like Stephen A and then like over time he, you know, became an institution in his own right. Right. And, and now he's sort of like widely loved as this, you know, sort of incredible character that he is. Right. Um, and so I, I think it's interesting cause I do think that there was a flip, like, I don't know. I don't know when it was, well, I was like when he was on with skip, right. right Maybe was... the, the two of them together were sort of disliked when skip left. Right. That, you know, sort of meant that Stephen A could be seen in a new light. I was going to um, say, I don't think I could warm up to Stephen A the way I have a little bit here if he was with Skip Bayless because I find him reprehensible. And even if it's an act, and I, everything I've heard about Skip off the air from people is he's a nice guy in real life. But like what he does with LeBron James, what, I don't care, real life, fake, show, like what he does with LeBron James to me makes him reprehensible. So I, I would never be able right. to warm up to Stephen A if he was with Skip Bayless. Um, but I, I definitely have come around. I'm not like, I'm not, listen, I'm not watching first take by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) on a daily basis, but when I see the clips now, I, I I have laughed and enjoyed them way more over the last few months since your appearance. So I, I have to, there was, there was one, I don't like, there was about the Knicks. There was just a radio clip I saw on his Twitter account and it was like, you know, I, something about the FCC, you know, I I wish the FCC couldn't, and you know, didn't have, you know, couldn't control what I'm saying about the Knicks because they're so bad. And it's like a two minute clip and he's like literally shaking and it's unbelievable. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, the re- like it's a simulcasted radio show and it's riveting. Right. Did you see on, on Tuesday's first take, I have it in Wednesday's train of thought. So if you're listening to this on, on Wednesday or Thursday, you could go back into Wednesday's train of thoughts and watch it. Um, I, I give him full credit because they had Marcus Spears who went to LSU go on this incredible yeah. rant ripping Stephen A to shreds about LSU be- beating Alabama. And instead of Stephen A going into Stephen A mode and fighting back, Stephen A just said, you know what? I got nothing to say. You got me. And I thought that was a re- – that I love the way he handled that. Instead of going with the obvious, 
shtick and fighting back and saying crazy shit for no reason. Like he just basically said, you know what? I'm throwing in the towel. You got me on this one. And I, I thought the way he handled that was great. And I, I give him, I credit for that a lot, a lot of credit. I don't, I don't know what else to say other than I think he's mastered the art of like sports debate in that format. But the one thing that's interesting, like half the, like half the job is performance. Right. Well, More than half the job. But what's interesting is that now with his new contract and his $8 million a year, part of his job is doing NBA pregame shows where you can't really do the performance. you got to be a little more serious. So I, you got to give him credit that he can switch roles so easily and, you know, sort of, you know, act the fool during the day and then at night do a legitimate NBA pregame show. I mean, that's why he's worth $8 million bucks, right? Yeah, you must be thrilled. Have you watched? Are <laughs> but, you, but right, like he does the NBA thing. He's great on first take. He's like a total meme factory on Twitter, right? When he was posting those videos of like baby Stephen A. Smith. Right, right. It was hilarious. Yeah, I agree. I can't disagree. I've, I've war- I'm warming up a little bit. Like I said, I'm not going to watch the <laughs> show, but um, you've helped me see the light there. Um, so, yeah. Count me yeah. on board for his eight mil. But, I mean, it's I, good when people get paid. I agree. I, I mean, listen, it's good when people get paid, but. When we live in a world where you get eight million to do first take, it's it is a little uh, it is a little, well. I guess you're right. Little. I guess the other thing about that, right? He gets eight million, and I think you're seeing this all over media, right? Not just at ESPN, but sort of everywhere is right. Like the people at the top, you know, the one percent or whatever the percent is, are getting paid more and more, and the middle class of of the profession of of media is getting hollowed out a little bit. Um, and then there's, you know, there's always going to be a need for people to produce content. So you have, you know, a, a growing sort of content farm wing of media. And, and I don't, I think this is a perfect example of it, that people at the very top who, who do like have these huge Twitter followings who move the needle in, in, in big ways, you know, are, are getting more money. And then, that middle class is is disappearing a little bit. I feel like I had Bernie Sanders on the podcast right now. With the, you start <laughs> dropping out, start dropping the top one percent of the two percent, and the bottom four percent doesn't have what the bottom one percent, the top one percent. Like look, Bernie's here. Uh, stick yeah. to sports, Strauss. Right now, this is an ESPN. I could I could say whatever I want. It's the beauty of this podcast. I can mention Bernie Sanders, and no one's going to come for me. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it, it, listen, it's uh, TV is where it's at if you want to get paid in this business. There's no doubt about it. That's always been the case. And Stephen A's proving it once again. I mean, he's leaving his radio show, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, to focus on TV. Yeah, I think Andrew, our friend Andrew Marshall, has said that. Yeah, you want to you wanna get paid. TV is where it's at if you're an up and coming uh, sports media person. Not the internet, that's for sure. I can say that. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, going through some topics here with me. And uh, like I said, Ben has an interesting story about High Noon in the Washington Post uh, Wednesday, if you want to check that out on, on the website. And uh, we'll uh, speak again soon. I, I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to leave it on you basically warming me up to Stephen A. I think it's a perfect, perfect way to end the podcast. It's a heartwarming episode yeah. of uh, exactly. the media podcast this week. Exactly. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll, we will definitely talk to you soon. On the, uh, My pleasure. It's always a pleasure. All right. Take care, Ben. All right. My thanks to Ben Strauss. We keep the podcast rolling. Let's hear now from Sean Grandy. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. All right, joining me now, looking forward to this, we have the radio voice of the Boston Celtics, but we're only going to talk about the Celtics for a little bit because this is one of the biggest wrestling fans I've, I've seen on Twitter in uh, in sports media, and he is Sean Grandy. Sean, how are you? Before we even start, before a word is said, before we take the first, the first toe is dipped into the water, it should be pointed out that when I finally met Richard Deitch in Toronto last year after a lot of, you know, back and forth over the years, he did say at some point, hey, we got to do a podcast. So the last thing I want to do is get involved, get in between this <laughs> extraordinary budding guest feud between, you know, I don't want to, yeah. like, which show are you going to be on on Monday nights? I don't want to be that guy in the middle. I just want everybody to be happy and get along. Well, everything's fine. If, if uh, anyone listening out there doesn't know, I was on Richard's podcast this week. So you can hear me with uh, Richard Deitch, who used to host this podcast on his current podcast. And um, yeah, Richard early on, as he mentioned on the, I guess I'm not talking out of school because he mentioned it. He got a little annoyed early on um, about me booking some guests here and, you know, I had tried to explain to him, we're not exactly Letterman and Leno. This is not, uh, you know, uh, to me to have booking wars on these podcasts is, is absurd. Um, but, I, you know, he seems to get very concerned with who my guests are. So, <laughs> so you've never been on with Richard at all? No. Uh, so okay. you're this, you got the first, you know, right. you get the first shot. Well, like I said, I really just want to talk wrestling because. I know you do. You're you're we got into it I, I recently about 
old, I mean, old school with Jimmy Snuka going off the top of the cage against Don Morocco. And um, you're as knowledgeable as it gets. But let, let, since the Celtics are eight and one, we should mention that just quickly. Just give me, take me through. So you were born in New York. You end up a Boston guy. You've been doing the Celtics since when? 2000 and... I, 2001. I wow. came in with uh, the Timberwolves in 98 doing TV and then left them for the Celtics in, in 2001. And I grew up in Greenwich Village loving the Knicks and hating the Celtics. Wow. And my first job in the NBA was with the player I hated the most with Kevin McHale. Uh, and then three years later, I end up as the voice of the Celtics. And as many New Yorkers, you know, Red Auerbach, Johnny Most, Howard David, uh, there's a long New York basketball tradition in Boston. So growing up, I would assume Marv was your guy. Marv was, and Marv was doing at everything. Right. You'd watch the 6 o'clock news, and there was Marv. Right, right, right. And then he'd go over to the Garden and do the Ranger game or the Nick game or whatever was happening that night. Yep. But I was, I was very fortunate because I grew up with Marv. I grew up with Sam Rosen on hockey, you know, and yep. hockey was probably my number one sport for a long time. Like you said, 20 years ago, we'd be talking about 22 years in the NBA and not the NHL. That was certainly not the direction it was going. So I had Sam Rosen. I was. It's really funny to me because – as an influence, as an imprint, Tim McCarver nationally, particularly in the later years, became – I still couldn't quite figure out why he became such a subject of derision, and maybe that's a social media Twitter you know, byproduct as well. But to be 11 years old when Tim McCarver becomes the broadcaster for the Mets, mm. the amount of things I learned from Tim McCarver – in the 80s, and I was able to tell him this when I did the Red Sox a few years ago, um, and we would bump into them in, you know, in hotels at the Celtics, that you know, I was very lucky. I had Bob Murphy on radio with the Mets. I had, uh, you know, you had the end of when Marty Glickman came back at the end and did the Jets when I was a kid. So there was all kinds of amazing influences growing in New York when there's so many teams and so many different broadcasts. Yeah, I... I don't want to get into a whole thing about sort of broadcasters and Twitter, but it is amazing. I mean, McCarver to me is the is the perfect example of a guy who was always thought of as not a good but a great analyst. And then Twitter came along and the guy just gets, yeah. you know, bludgeoned to death on there. It's it's a very bizarre thing. Well, because Jimmy, he didn't accept there were guys listen, this happened to Costas too. There's the get off my lawn thing, right? If you I always use the I always use the analogy of dogs. It never occurred to me that there are people in the world that don't like dogs. I didn't know those people existed until I grew up. Like it's hard when a dog comes in the room, you just want to like roll around on the floor and play with the dog. But there are some people that have that sort of they, they like recoil a little bit when a dog comes in the room and they just don't seem to there are people that reacted that way to social media. And listen, it's fraught with peril. And every time you hit the button, your entire, you know, my son's college fund is in jeopardy, right? Every time you right. say anything because of anybody's interpretation of it. But nevertheless, it's evolve or die. And you have to jump in and stay relevant and remember who you are speaking to. And you can't be high and mighty and turn your nose up at millennials and social media and the way they do it because that was that was us, Jimmy, right? right. <laughs> and 15, 20 years ago, right. that was us. So I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by it. I'm wary of it. Um, you know, doing things like this, 
it's harder for people to take things out of context as we talk because you're in one place and I'm another. You don't even know if I'm wearing my poppy for the Canadian <laughs> Remembrance Day. You don't know if I'm wearing it. Never so, ever even knew what a poppy was until two days ago. It's amazing. Never heard of it. Never knew what it was. We do now. I just, but that's you know one one misstep or a perception of a misstep now. Yeah. And listen, it's a dangerous, dangerous time. And one of the things I enjoy about you know there are when you're doing a national television broadcast. If I'm doing a college football game on CBS or doing boxing on Fox or whatever, and you have a couple million people watching nationally, you're doing it differently. Cedric Maxwell and I have a great luxury when it comes to being not only having been here forever and having tenure, but a different sort of audience in the way you can speak and you can you can get away with things. It's easier to get away with things on the air sometimes than it is on Twitter because that stuff lives and right. people interpret it their own way. What uh, well, and also the, if you say it on the air, there's context. Where on Twitter, there's no context. Yeah. What so give me. So you've been doing the Celtics since '01. Grew up Knicks fan, Marvel. That what is your what are your feelings about the Knicks? Do you have pity for them? Do you not care about them? Do you still, in your heart of hearts, want to root for them? I mean, they're such a complete embarrassment on every level. It might it's easy probably to be detached. I would assume. Well, it is. I, there's two things. You know, growing up in New York as a Knicks fan, you, what I try to do is take that bias down and say nobody in an honest moment would say that the league is better off for the Knicks being in this condition. Nobody would say that. And you just the little taste, what's amazing, we, we talked about this sort of last time we were down there a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about it a lot, that the fact, the degree to which the 90s Knicks, who didn't win anything, right. are beloved and treated as if they were a dynasty <laughs> is an indication of what they've become now. Because... Uh, it was a, and that team, by the way, the '90s Knicks are considered to have like ruined basketball outside of New York because nobody. You think about a '74 '69 game is halftime right. now, <laughs> and, but, but back then right. it was just take your lunch money, basketball, and but those guys are so beloved, and they, they sort of they represented the city obviously in a certain way. But th- this is not good for anybody. What I've always said about Knicks fans is that Knicks fans get the game. No fans will turn on the home team faster if they see the visiting team playing great basketball. Nobody will turn faster than Knicks fans because that's what they want. They will go through a legitimate rebuild. Of course Knicks fans will because they understand how it's done. But the Isaiah plug-and-play, let's try to stay in the middle, that set the franchise back and all of these different decisions and Carmelo not leaving and one after the other. But at some point, you have to say it's going to be rough for a couple of years. And actually, to tell you the truth, what they did, signing these guys, it doesn't look good. It's a mess of a team right now. But at least they're going to be, cap-wise, they're going to be okay when the big free agent class comes in two years. It, it, listen, when you're bad for 20 years, it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but the, the Phil Jackson era was really sure. a major, major problem for the Knicks. And the Celtics, 8-1, and one, um what the outlook? Excuse me, I'm sorry. The outlook for this season? You're, uh, you think they keep it up? You think they they you know go wall to wall here in the East? What what's your? T- I mean, hey, where it's hurt now, which is a problem. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no way they will. But yeah. it's a great, it's a great start. It's the perfect cleansing from last year, which I think I called you know at the end as it was winding down. I think I called it a market correction last year because the Celtics had overachieved for a few years before that. Then you had this lethal cocktail of expectations which were way too high 
with with a team that was just fundamentally flawed in the way it was in its construction, not so much of the specific players, but of the veteran young player mix was not right. Too many young players that hadn't gotten their first big contract yet that wanted playing time that weren't getting it. There were a million things that went wrong last year. But it's now you obviously don't have a – listen, a lot of it fell on Kyrie, and he brought a lot of it on himself. And it's going to be fascinating here in a couple of weeks and after one of the great heel turns in Boston sports history when he comes back here with Brooklyn the night before Thanksgiving. It's going to be pretty ugly because it got ugly right. here at the end of last year. But, no, Philadelphia and Milwaukee are the best teams in the East. 82 games will almost always bear that out, barring some ridiculous injury. But the Celtics and Miami are going to be better than we thought they were going to be, and they're, they're going to cause those two teams. They could cause those teams difficulty in the playoffs. It's so bizarre to me that – the heel turn for Kyrie is sort of considered with the Celtics and the Celtics. To me, the heel turn for Kyrie was him leaving LeBron. When mm-hmm. when you are a teammate of the greatest player on earth and you can't hack it and you force yourself out of there, um, the heel turn already started. I mean, the, to me, I get Boston fans are pissed because it's Boston and they're only worried about themselves. But for me, as an outside observer with no dog in the fight – Kyrie Irving lost me the minute he decided he couldn't hack it with LeBron James, which is ridiculous. Here's what happened in Boston. And I was, you know, you don't get a lot of heat, you know, when you've been doing this for 20 years. You don't get a lot of heat in general, like if you were saying this nationally and doing hot take theater. But people felt I was probably a little bit harsh on Kyrie when he was here. And then when everybody turned on him, now they feel I'm a little too easy on him because my opinion never changed, which is this. You know who Kyrie Irving was for his two years in Boston? He was Kyrie Irving. The same dude he was in Cleveland, the same dude he'll be in Brooklyn. And I think we as a society tend to sort of be dismissive of or look down on or cast out people that are different, that are odd, that are unusual. And Kyrie is certainly that dude. There's no question about it. What he has to own is that he said he was going to not that he left. It's that he said he was going to stay and then backed out of that did it midseason, pulled the rug on not just the fans but the team, and it was a bad year as a result of it. But Celtic fans, and as an organization, I think what people have to own in Boston is that when you acquired Kyrie Irving, everyone looked at him like, oh, my gosh, we've got the runway model. Now we're dating the runway model. And you heard some things, right, about previous relationships. Right. and what, what do we say when that happens? Well, that won't happen to me. Right. That won't happen here. Right. That was, that was, that's in his past. And it was the exact same stuff. He was saying the same things about Brad Stevens that he was saying about Mike Brown. He was saying the same things about the roster composition. He was, it was the same stuff. And Kyrie is still, still a pretty young guy when he was here. Younger, as I often pointed out to people here, than Paul Pierce was. And Paul Pierce was still sort of having meltdowns in the Indiana series in 2005 and he, he was the same dude, and the, what I felt is, is simple. If the uber-talented flake who says things like, what does the government mean to you, and the Internet is not real, and all of this stuff, if that's your second best guy, if that's not the locker room, if you have Kevin Garnett or LeBron James or somebody in the core, the center of your locker room, you can have that guy, and it doesn't matter. But if that's your bellwether, if that's your leader, if that's the go-to guy with all the mics in his face after every game, it's not going to work. 
Uh, yeah, I guess I guess what you're saying is 100% true. You always think it's not going to be me. It's not going to happen to me. He's my guy yep. now. But to me, the Boston and Celtics fans should have been careful the second he got there just based on the fact that he had to get away from LeBron James, which you don't yeah. get away from the greatest player on earth. You he said he that. wanted to be because yeah. the idea was he wanted to be the guy. And Celtic fans, generally speaking, when he said that, had the reaction that most fans did nationally. And then all of a sudden he became a Celtic. Right. <laughs> and right, it was, right. you know, he got off to an amazing start. They were 16-2 and two that year. Everything was great. You give everybody a – and they were so prepared to love Kyrie. I mean, right. the biggest fear, Jimmy, last year of Celtic fans, one year ago at this time, the biggest fear was that he was going to leave. And by the time the year was over – the mood in the town had turned on him so badly. I tell this story a lot, but I live about a mile from, I'm looking at the garden now, I live about a mile away, and I walk home after games. And all I can say about the playoff series last year against Milwaukee is that people were so pissed at Kyrie, they were pissed at me. Like they would had nobody to yell at, so they would be yelling out of their cars as I was walking home. Like, get him out of here, get Kyrie. Right. Which is an amazing, just complete same dude. He was a year earlier, but... It's amazing how fans, when you spurn their love, and that's what last year's Celtics team did. It was a team that everyone was so prepared to love, and then they didn't play up. They didn't play hard. They didn't play well. They weren't a uh, quote-unquote Celtics team. And fans, fans can turn on a team as fans turn on the Knicks when they aren't the team that Knicks fans want them to be, and it, will, uh, it can happen. There's a shorter, I, I think, and again, maybe this is a social media thing, and maybe it's not, there's a shorter fuse now among fans of, of local teams. Because yes. if you want to find the vitriol between sports radio and social media, you can find it. It's pretty easy. Yep, yep. I totally agree. And, and also, it's very easy to also be fans of national teams this way. This, it's very easy to be fans of yeah. national teams currently because it's so easy to be able to watch outside markets in you know, the various ways to sort of consume the and- products. Degree, the degree to which people want to complain about things, you're, you had a thing a few weeks ago, and I just thought this was beautiful. And again, it struck home to me as someone in this profession. But the people going on Twitter to bash Joe Buck right. for a game he wasn't even doing was beautiful. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, that's, well, if you're someone like me, and again, you know, in the spot I'm in, you know, when I started doing national stuff, when I started doing MMA, that was me going into a world where I was going to be targeted Right, right. That's somebody coming from the Big Four. Oh, NBA guy coming into MMA. People were waiting, right, for me to make mistakes and to be whatever. But that is the kind of thing for someone in my business that anytime you read something, because let's face it, anyone that tells you they're not reading their mentions or they don't, they're lying. <laughs> because you uh, here's a here's a little secret. If you guys haven't figured it out, you and Richard, Richard Sand, everybody that you have found the perfect beat. It, the most perfect thing to cover in the world because it is all it's completely made up of narcissists who want to do nothing but talk about ourselves right. and can't keep our mouths shut about anything. Exactly. So it's like the greatest gift yep. ever. And you know, these people well, that, that say it's so it's perfect yeah. that way. That's, so obviously, you... but when you go to, when you read something like, look at these hundreds of people killing Joe Buck for a game he's not even doing that probably puts mm-hmm. it in perspective as to how yeah. seriously we should take any of that that pretty much and I, you know what i don't think joe reads his mentions i will tell you because 
Joe texted me after I posted that, but it was like three days later. He hadn't seen that until about three days after, and he he texted me and said he had a very good laugh at that. So I think Joe, he's one of the few. I agree with you. I think 99% of the people say they don't check their mentions yeah. or line. I actually think Joe stays away from it. Um, well, he is. Joe's out of it. I, you know, my, I and Eagle's a good buddy of mine or whatever, and you get to a certain point where you don't have to right. enter into that world. Right, right. You know, he's exactly. already beyond that atmosphere. Whereas, you know, most of us, it's just a better way to, it's a better way to connect. And for some of us, if, again, if I'm in a local radio job, if I'm not doing a national TV game, if I'm doing a local radio thing, sometimes I'm reaching more people. Right, right. <laughs> online. Absolutely. That's, that is, that's the power there. Then that's why yeah. we can't stay away. Um, so you mentioned covering media is sort of the perfect beat. I, I I think I get, the be- I, I get the best of both worlds because I do a lot of the wrestling stuff, and I mentioned at the top that you're a huge um, wrestling fan. You know, I mean, your knowledge of it is is pretty impressive. I I love the old school stuff. It's hard to, you know, there's a lot of people who think, uh, you know, things started with uh, DX and the NWO and and the Montreal Screwjob, but uh, I yearn for those times in the early '80s when you thought maybe it might be a little bit real and the out, you know, it's so funny. I get annoyed when think like the old school gimmicks, where everyone sort of was a job, you know, the big boss man, the red rooster. Like those get mocked now. I, I yearn for those days. Give me, wh- tell me, what is your earliest wrestling memory? What's the first thing I, you remember? The seminal moment for you? I love asking that question to people too because it's so it's it's a reminder again what we we're talking about earlier that. You are when you're a broadcaster. You're speaking to completely different ages and generations. Yeah. So everybody's the entry point to me is always fascinating. When I was eight, I think, and I was it was first you were aware that it was on TV. It's just funny because my son just turned eight, and what you're aware that it's on TV. And I remember asking my dad, uh, "Why does this Larry Zbysko guy want to fight the announcer?" <laughs> who, of course, was Bruno San Martino. Right. So that was the angle I remember when I was, you know, obviously a very young kid that drew me in. And I was lucky enough to, you know, to grow up in New York. So uh, after getting hooked in there, we had the TBS show, came from, from Georgia. So between that, that was sort of golden age. It was the, the Bruno Zabesco, and then I became this monstrous Bob Backlund fan. And most wrestling fans, the older people who are older than us are Bruno San Martino people. Obviously, Hogan brought a ton of people in, much younger people with Austin. But there's very few of us like Bob Backlund people. You've got to be in a certain pocket of age to be a, yeah. you know, a, a Bob Backlund person. Yeah. And uh, I was lucky enough to, again, be, be able to go to Madison Square Garden for a lot of those shows in the early, were you, in the early 80s were you there, when I was a kid. Were you there when – so there were two things. So the Iron Sheik beat – Bob Backlund for the title when Arnold Skolan threw in the towel. That was Madison Square Garden, correct? I was there. Okay, so you were there for that. And then were you there when Hogan beat the Sheik? I was not. Probably okay. out of protest because I was an anti-Hogan guy because I was a Bob so Backlund was guy. He didn't, get a re- he didn't get his rematch. That was supposed right. to be a Bob Backlund rematch. All right, so but you were in the garden for when Arnold Skolan threw in the towel and the Iron Sheik won the belt from Bob Backlund. That's amazing. It's yeah, it was, and, and devastating to a, a 12-year-old or whatever, 11-year-old, because uh, you had built up this fear. I was so young. I couldn't, again, you talk about it being real to kids. Or the, uh, at least they had the option. Like my, I don't know if my son's going to become a fan or not, or to whatever degree I'm going to let him. I haven't figured out any of that yet right, because right. he's approaching that age. But I don't even really think, 
I don't know how much he's going to even have the option that we had to suspend our disbelief. Right. Sometimes I think that's a problem with the business now is that you're not even giving people the option to suspend their totally disbelief. Agree. And I think we've gone too backstage. Too, totally I think we've agree. gone too. Like, it's a show. You don't see, if you're watching Big Bang, you're not watching the characters backstage talking differently and being themselves and, and going on podcasts and things like that. So, as a, I mean, I guess you are to some degree with that, but you're not, you have the ability to watch a television show and suspend you on CSI or whatever right. and watch the show. And just be into the show. And I think that's what got lost with, this is a complete over-blanket statement, but some people in WWE's desire to be in Hollywood and to bring in the TV writers and to, the farther away you get from the people that grew up in the business and loved it, the more you get this product now that, I know, you know, you guys, you and Richard were talking about the other day that has evolved into, athletically, it's never been better. There's never been better matches there's never been you know more elite athletes competing in it but you're not connected to the characters because that's what got that's what got lost right and, in, and all that time i, I recently, and a three-hour show by the way which was yeah. th- going from two hours to three hours and they knew it and they had to take the money and there was no other way to do it but I, the difference between two hours and three hours to me on monday night what's the difference between watching the whole show versus watching the first 15 minutes to see how they start and to see if Paul Heyman comes on or whatever, and then following the rest through social media and maybe coming back for the end, checking out Monday Night Football, doing all the other, other things you're going to be doing, it was a dangerous time to make your show longer rather than shorter. I, re- I recently wrote, and I caught a little bit of flack for it, but I stand by it. I recently wrote that. I just think it's impossible for WWE creatives to come up with, with storylines now because everyone's just more concerned with the backstage. And... You can't keep anything a secret. It's impossible to surprise, um, and that's you know that's why those old days in the eighties is uh, I long for those days. Um, it's funny you meant I I remember the match that you were at there with with the Iron Sheik and Backlund. But for me, this seminal moment as a kid, the the, the one I to this day, if you say like your number one, what got to you and, and was. Piper cracking the coconut over Jimmy Snooker's head. Traumatized. You will, you will appreciate this. Um, and I guess anyone that's stuck around this long in the podcast will appreciate it too. When I've, I've taken my son a few times to Sesame Place, which is out, sort of outside of Philadelphia. And the first time we went, he was like three. And when we left for the day, I realized we were within hailing distance. And we were driving back to New York that night, but we were within hailing distance of Allentown. And I said to myself, when are you ever going to be near Allentown again? And long story short, yes, I took a pilgrimage to Ag Hall, Agricultural Hall in Allentown, and took a little selfie outside the building. And all I could, you know, you couldn't get in. Obviously, it was late at night. And I remember looking in there, and all you're thinking is, that's where Piper hit Snuka with the coconut. Now that's like a, this is hallowed ground. That's a big time wrestling fan right there. Yeah, that's. I mean, again, that's it wasn't like super out of the way, but yeah, I mean, when are you going to be back in Allentown? And the, all that stuff happens in in one place. Yeah, I also think. Listen, I mean, there are a lot of people I think who who remember the coconut incident and may, but don't realize it was in Allentown. So the fact that you even know that, I think, is uh, shows. Yeah, scary. Shows like, where are my car keys? I don't know, right. but I can I can run for you. I could probably do it now. It's been a long time since I tried it. I'm, because you, you're such an obsessed fan as a kid, 
every Bob Backlund title defense at Madison Square Garden in order, which I've often called over the years a party trick for what I could only imagine would be the worst party ever thrown by anyone ever. <laughs> now, um, now, one of the one of the things I think that sort of hooks people into wrestling, at least it used to. I don't I don't think it does now. But for the people growing up in the 80s and even the 90s because of Jim Ross, um, the the announcers played such a huge role in wrestling always. When I mean, Vince McMahon as an announcer was horrific, but it was so bad he was good in a way. Um, Jesse Ventura, Grilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, then into Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. You as a play-by-play guy, do you... Do you feel like you were ever influenced by? Yep. Absolutely. Interesting. And here's how. Absolutely. And here, here's the point. It is all of our jobs. I think this is something that I stole from Aaron Sorkin that I'm sure he stole from somebody else, which is your job as an entertainer, as an announcer, as somebody. My job is to hold your attention and captivate your attention for as long as I have asked for it whether that's a three-hour football game or, or whatever it is. And what those guys did, and here's why I would disagree with you on Vince, because he was an over-the-top character, but he also got the storyline across. And your fundamental job is, again, are you doing radio and NBA? Are you doing a TV football game? Are you doing MMA? Everything is different. And to me, the great announcers, and you guys were talking about Sean McDonough yesterday, the great announcers, and I'm biased when I say it, are the ones that do multiple sports because that's like being Meryl Streep, right? Being able to do all these different things and get, right. get mesh with different partners and call different sports and call them in different mediums. But no matter what, just like a great pro wrestling announcer, your job is to get, why are you watching? What is the storyline here? What is the story? And there's a 10 second detour on that. When I did MMA, the consensus, the thought was when I first went to spike was start the show with the two guys right in the cage and get right to a fight as soon as you came on. And in the two years I was doing it, I fought very hard and very successfully with some really talented TV people to change that to get more of the walks, the fighters walking from the back, the big entrances, because that was the only time they got, or I got, to tell their story, Mm -hmm. to get their story across to the audience. So people just weren't seeing two guys fighting that they had no idea who they were. But maybe now you know this kid left home when he was 16 and he ran away from home and he was homeless and he ate meals in the park and he fed himself and he met this guy randomly and began trying. Anyway, instead of just getting a storyline across, whether it's as we're talking tonight, the Celtics are hosting the Washington Wizards and it's game nine of 82 or game 10 of 82. I love game 10 of 82 because there's always something. Tonight you got Isaiah Thomas coming back in a Washington uniform. You know, Washington trying to figure out their whole situation with their John Wall contract. There's always something in any event you're doing, getting a storyline across. And that is the relatively long answer to the short question of, were you influenced by wrestling announcers? And the answer is, of course, and that's how. All right, so give me, let's do this. Give me your Mount Rushmore of wrestling announcers, all time, Mm -hmm. however you want to do it. You want to mix in WCW, NWA, whatever you want to do. Give me your Mount Rushmore of wrestling announcers, then give me your Mount Rushmore of wrestlers. I would say, well, obviously, it's, I think there was a point, just as Shawn Michaels probably passed Ric Flair at some point in his later, the later years and the stuff he did with Undertaker, I think you have to put Jim Ross past Gordon Soley, although that's the ultimate apples and oranges there. You know, I, 
and in the things the things that Gordon were doing because Gordon made you believe, like you were he was calling a sporting event, right? And he was calling like Jack Briscoe against Dory Funk in the olden days and calling it like a legitimate sporting event. Whereas the moment I always remember from the Attitude Era when I knew the business was nothing like we had watched when we were kids was or the, the late Road Warrior Hawk was they were doing some angle where he was depressed and he was on top of the, the Titan Tron, right? He's on top of the big boy and he falls off, right? Right. In uh, apparent either suicide attempt or he can't possibly have survived that fall to the back. And he crashes. This is when they were doing like a different amazing thing happening every five minutes to keep your attention. He falls off this thing, this horrific, horrendous moment. And then Sable's music hits. And <laughs> Sable just walks down the ramp five seconds later. And Jerry Lawler says, well, you can't grieve forever. <laughs> and, that, you know, so that's when I knew that the wrestling of our childhood was gone. So Jim Ross and Gordon Soley were obviously doing different things. Right. I just met, uh, literally last week, I'd never met Tony Schiavone, and I just met him. Obviously grew up, uh, you know, watching him quite a bit. Um, again, I wouldn't, I, I'm not putting Vince on the Mount Rushmore, but I thought he was great at getting, at getting storylines across and probably will never get credit as an announcer uh, for how good he was. Uh, Bob Cottle was a, a great wrestling announcer when I was a uh, I didn't get a lot of him because he was sort of an NWA mid-Atlantic guy but that's that's sort of the, I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting someone I asked Jim Ross uh, one of the first times I'd met him and we did a bunch of little podcast type things together and I would ask him that question the Mount Rushmore thing is tough because I'm going to hang up with you Jimmy five seconds right. later I'm gonna go, oh wait a minute I should have put that person in right. the whatever um, but there's you know who are the great workers and who are the great draws of all time because you're putting Hogan on that list well, no, if it's I, no, about no. that. I, I'm talking about for you personally. Who you? Well, then my guys would have been um, back then when I was a kid. Wow. Flair. Right. Um, I'm biased, as you know, for a variety of reasons toward Mick Foley. Right. Um, and, but probably the ultimate, what makes him special in addition to all the great matches he had is like he made everybody better. Yes. Just like Ric Flair did. And and Shawn Michaels, obviously, I think that's a that's a good four to go. How how you leave Austin out of anything, uh, with what he did? Obviously, there wasn't the longevity, but you know, you're old enough when you're old enough to have been in buildings when you were a kid with Hogan. The only thing even close to that was Austin. Twenty years ago, as far as the as far as the building is concerned. Right. Tell me about Mick Foley. He was at your wedding. <laughs> yeah, that one. I'm surprised that picture hasn't gotten out. But it was pretty stunning because when you marry somebody who, first of all. You're coming off the week where my wife, six days ahead of our wedding, goes toe to toe with Bill Belichick. Right. On you know, and that became a, you know, <laughs> that for was any, that like dominated the week. For anyone listening uh, who doesn't know, Sean is married to Dana Jacobson of CBS. Okay, go ahead. Now that we got yes, and, and that was the uh, you know the week of the Antonio Brown, and they released him on Friday, and she asked him the question. We had talk about wrestling. We had literally scripted that the night before. She had called me and said, "This is one of these are the questions." Uh, like, you know, what do you, we do this with each other, obviously, because we're both in the business. What do you think? And I said, when she ran it, I said, well, the second one, you're going to get a short answer. And if you go to Antonio Brown, you're going to get the death stare. And so she wasn't surprised. I don't think she would have been anyway, but <laughs> naturally, she got the exact same thing. And I, this, this can be your own um, SI media podcast scoop at the wedding when Dana does her vows. And then, because at the end of the day, we're show people, right? So we've got to entertain the crowd, no matter whether it's our wedding or not. So she does her vows. Show people and, and wrestling hand, fans. you always got to entertain the crowd. you you got to keep them. Right. My only thing is, could you do a false ending in the wedding and make everybody come back <laughs> the next week? Like, dusty, have somebody a dusty like, finish. They can come wedding. down from the rafters and break yeah. up the wedding. But, so she does her vows, and then they hand the mic to me, and I just 
paused and paused and paused and just stared her down for about seven, eight, ten seconds. I don't know how long it was. Right. And then, you know, into the mic, I'm like, was this the wrong time to do the Belichick joke? Oh, and, of course, God. the crowd goes crazy and whatever because you gotta you got to give everybody a show, right? right. That they remember. But um, How did that go over yeah. with Dana? Uh, she was, uh, she, you know, I wouldn't have done it if she was. I, I think there was a... A moment I thought during the week, boy, is that going to be? Is that going to kind of ruin the wedding? But I no. Just, once yeah. everybody laughed, that's once you got him, you got him. Not, that's not, not a, the wrestling thing. Not everyone would be cool with being reminded of Bill Belichick on their wedding, <laughs> male <laughs> their or wedding. female. Well, I thought we should have invited him at the last second, like, right, to see right. if he wanted to go. I'm sure and by the way, again, tying everything back to wrestling, as you sort of can. People said to me when that happened, "Hey, are you mad at Bill Belichick? Are you mad?" I'm like, "No, that right. was exactly what everyone expected him to do. That's right. what he does." I would have been more, listen, we've all been doing meetings before games and like national games for years. It's what you do. I would have been more, if he had not treated her or, or Kevin Harlan or those guys, you know, Rich Gannon, if he had not treated them well or been rude or something during the meeting, right? that's a different story. But right. that's, that's showbiz. On, the, on air is on air. Is on air. Well, that's like to me, I used to say to Cedric Maxwell when we first started working together, it's like the Matrix. Like, he would continue an argument with me that we'd had on the air. We'd get on the bus, and I'd say, dude, we're, we're out of the Matrix now. Like, it's not yeah. real. That's Dana, it's a show. It's always a show. Dana Jacobson, not the first and certainly not the last reporter Bill Belichick has gotten No, <laughs> and I, my thing about it, listen, if you want to get mad at Bill, I think people here, because there's just such a everybody outside of, outside of New England has the anti-Belichick thing. People here have that sort of blind intense love for him and you know what he might be the best to ever do it but uh, the only thing i would say is if your creed if your motto if something you've built your philosophy on is do your job maybe you can't get that upset when other people do theirs right that would be my only thing about bill but mike bill's a big celtic fan he comes to games i i just thought it was her doing her job and it was him doing what he does and everyone wanted to make a big deal of it and nobody really but again, that was, again, another Twitter thing, people being outraged for people who are not angry at all right, right. about it because they've got to, everyone's got to have a cause and, or whatever. But no, yeah, we, we did not have Bill. Uh, yeah, Charles Barkley did a big thing on Inside the NBA after we got, he had come after me pretty hard for not asking Dana to marry me for a long time. Like I would get it <laughs> from Charles pretty much constantly. And then on Inside the NBA after we finally get engaged, I, I think I'd tweeted something like, I guess we know who she played for now. Like, you know, picture of the ring or something like right. that. And then he said, you know, they, they do it in EJ. They announced it. And it was very nice. And Charles, in a perfect Charles moment, going to break, said, girl was going to grow old waiting on him. You know, <laughs> finally Charles. got down on one knee. That's so, tr- so wait, we didn't uh, but get yeah, to Mick, was, Mick, uh, Mick is someone we've known for, um, yeah. I, I've known him probably since right after Hell in a Cell. Like, you run into people. Geographically, I met Jim Ross because the Celtics and WWE were in the same city. Right. You know, at the same couple of blocks away, you meet people over the years, and I've known Mick for forever. And again, sort of wanting to give everyone a good show, I thought, wow, he'd be a great, he'd be great to do a reading. Obviously, Dana and I have some pretty cool people to draw from when it comes to doing readings at weddings. So that was a, uh, yeah, he had a he had a blast. It so was, Mick, so Mick it did, was really fun having so, him there. And it makes a nice pick. People see the picture and they're like, "Oh my God, how do you know Mick Foley?" So Mick did a reading at the wedding. He did a reading. Yeah. Did now so was he uh, in a suit or did he go sweatpants with the suit jacket as we've seen him in the WWE? The, no, he went he went suit which when he first got there, like he changed. He had like almost the dude love tie dye. Okay. Underneath the you know, which is one of the great 
Uh, again, if you're, you have to be a hardcore wrestling fan if you listen this far. Go out of your way to find Mick's work with Paul Heyman in ECW oh, yeah. the year before he came to WWE. If you want to see the best, probably the best year, full year of promos, I was lucky enough to be just a fluke again, fluke of the schedule. I was in Charlotte last week, so I got to be there when Cody gave his great, did his great promo. Right, setting up the Chris Jericho match. So those are few and far between. Mick did a whole year of those in ECW right. leading up to him being hired, you know, Jim Ross and those guys getting him in, Bruce Pritchard getting him in with uh, with Vince. And it's probably the best year anyone has ever had doing promos in the history of the of the business. Are you into all these wrestling podcasts? Uh, Listen, when you're, and even as a fan, you're talking about not being able to watch the shows, and yeah, I can run you the Bob Backlund title defenses, but eventually you have a job, right? It's hard. When when you're in the NBA, the rest of the world goes away. I, for years, I had this great fantasy, Jimmy, that I was going to get the center ice package, right? right? And watch NHL, watch all the NHL games. This is great. I've got a job. I can afford it. There's no time. Right. There's no time. Prime time doesn't, certainly doesn't exist when you're in the NBA you are in the NBA. It's hard enough, especially, and then if you have a second job, as I've had from, from time to time doing other sports, and then you have a kid, it becomes really difficult yeah. to listen. And you try to find, how do you content now, right? Everybody talking and nobody listening. is It's hard. How do you choose which thing you're going to watch? So there's a lot of great podcasts out there. And usually I have friends say, hey, you've got to hear this segment on this. And that's how you get the record well, all, to it. All of the all of the Conrad Thompson ones are the ones that I yeah. He, he but the problem job. with those is is they're two two and a half three hours sometimes. Tell me, I'm just curious because we've talked about Backlund a lot before we go. Um, what did you make when he had that second run in the '90s with the going crazy and chicken winging everyone? I, and it was, I was happy that he was getting paid <laughs> and getting some of the money that the guys in the 90s were getting. That he, I mean, he probably was paid very well compared to the guys in the late 70s and early 80s because he was getting a you know percentage of all these big buildings. But I thought that was cool. It was a time that, like a lot of people, I often, you know, you asked when do people get into it? Like, what's your entry moment? I think people have sort of ins and outs. And you can become a lifetime fan, but eventually you go to college and you want to have, what's that they call it? Right, girlfriends. Right. So being a wrestling fan doesn't necessarily help you and certainly didn't. And now it's different. But back in the 80s and in the 90s, it probably didn't help you too much. So you have different pockets of your life where things happen. I've got a I've got this difficult job. I have a kid now. I have this. So there's pockets of the time that you kind of come in and out. But I remember it happening. And I remember sort of saying, like, you know, you turn your head sideways because that was the thing with Backlund was Vince wanted him that was one of his first decisions he wanted him to go heel right away right and bob wouldn't do it for until 10 years later until his 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 daughter i think had grown up and had gone off to school and whatever and then he he went back and he had a he had a great run i think he had earned to earned a run like that so and and the current the current wrestling world the what what are your viewing like do you watch raw every monday do you watch smackdown every friday you tivo it you watch it on youtube it's there's so much it's so hard to keep up with it all what what? It's very difficult yeah. uh, from a content standpoint. How much could you? I could DVR everything. Right. When am I? When are you going to have time to watch it? Yep. Like if you have a forty-hour-a-week job, and/or family or whatever, how much of this content are you going to get in? And you have to figure out. Again, you get directed there. That's what I'm saying about Raw. You, if Paul Heyman's coming up, you're going to tune. You're going to tune that in. If there's a great match, you're going to find it. And I think we become lazy is the wrong word, but in a millennial world, 
you have to air traffic control everything, and you know what you're going to be able to see. Uh, I'm not going to watch Jimmy Fallon. I don't have that hour right. every night. But I know if something great happens, if James Corden has a carpool karaoke, I know I'm going to be able to see it. Yep. So in some ways, of all the, all the new stuff, of having the AEW show, which has really been compelling, having NXT sort of step up, watching SmackDown now because so much emphasis was put on the beginning, and all of that tying everything back to what we started with, with the old school thing, at the exact same time, Billy Corgan and another buddy of mine, David Lagana, have recreated the old 80s studio show with and with the NWA brand and the old belt and all that. And what they're doing is like in five years ago, we'd say YouTube, it's just on YouTube, but it's not a real show. That can't be anything, but now it can be. And that is directed completely at people who will watch whenever they want. It drops like, I think every Tuesday and you can, is this by the way, the only hour a broadcaster has talked without promoting Disney plus because I know I haven't had a chance to work that in yet. I'm with, I mean, (laughs) Does it? Do we need to promote it when Adam Sheffer said it's going to change our lives? I figured we just we went, life-changing moment. We went to bed but last time night. Time shifting has changed our yeah. lives. And we again, went, watching a show like that, watching it whenever you can. And then the problem is, how do you gauge that with ratings? Like people say, I hear this. People puzzled all the time, saying, "Well, raw ratings had never been lower, but the business is still very strong." Yeah. Yeah, because our viewing habits have changed, and the pretty much the only thing have you know wrestling does not fall into the category of the NBA and the NHL and the NFL. Time shifting is, I mean, we could say it'll never hit. Uh, I don't yeah. say never about anything. Yeah. But time shifting isn't going to hit all this other stuff. And it's why those sports, why Fox is ahead of the game, getting all the live sports packages, right. making that an emphasis, because we're not going to time shift the NFL. Although we may, I mean, there are people going to time shift that Pac-12 game. Right. If they start at 9 a.m., some people may time shift that. But live sports isn't going to be time shifted. The wrestling industry, I think, even with spoilers and people know how to avoid that now. You know, I think five years ago we were saying, well, there's spoilers everywhere. There's spoilers everywhere. I think everyone evolves. I think we're sophisticated enough to know what to avoid if we really want to. Yeah. I don't think people I don't think people want to avoid spoilers anymore. I think they want spoilers so they can pick and choose out of the three hours. What what they want to say, or they want them so they can go complain about them. All right, let's do this. Or, and then later, complain about right. yeah, what's wrong with it and how they would have done it. And let's do let's end this on a very 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 rapid fire. I'm going to ask you a wrestling thing. You just give me the first answer that comes to your mind, and we'll just wrap it up this way. Give me your all time greatest wrestling entrance music. Mm, entrance music. You, you, I don't think you can beat the glass breaking. For that, I think so the greatest cold. entry, the greatest like debut when music hit was the Jericho, Jericho coming to WWE, yeah. which is like the greatest YouTube clip ever. If you love, if you love crowd reactions, but I don't think you can beat the glass breaking. Best moment involving a referee. Ooh, oh, oh, that's easy. Um, the uh, probably the greatest angle of all time, the twin referee, yes. Earl and Dave, uh, when they took the title off Hogan, which is one of the greatest. I mean, to this day, that's. That's one of the all-time greatest ideas anybody ever had, the, the twin referee. Best uh, catchphrase. <sighs> I think you got to go with the rock stuff just because the way it just because of the way it caught on. I mean, uh, you know, the, all the Ric Flair stuff when we were a kid that people now 
I mean, woo is not a catchphrase, but there's like every sporting event in the world, people are yelling it out. It's gone beyond, you know, I dealt with it in MMA. All the MMA people hated it when people would, it's, you know, so all the Ric Flair stuff is universal, but I don't think you can touch the stuff that, that Rock did where people will, around the world, like he could go to, you know, the end of the earth tomorrow and people would see him in the airport and say, you know, I smell what you're cooking. Your all-time favorite jobber. I, uh, growing up as, again, kids in New York, we had two, we had Johnny Rods and we had Jose Estrada. And then we learned later how good they were, Right. that they were, that they were there in that spot to make the other guys look great. Yeah. Johnny Rods. All time. Last one. All time favorite angle. Not Kurt. I mean, an actual storyline. Yeah. Boy, that's gonna. This is gonna be one of those ones. I'm gonna be five minutes later. I'm gonna say, "Oh man, that's I wish right. I had said that." Uh, yeah, I wish I hadn't given. I wish I hadn't done the twin ref one because that would be high on the list. Although Andre kind of blew that one on last. That was uh, the idea of doing live television in 1988 was just absolutely um, impossible. Uh, I think you have to go with. I think you got to say Austin McMahon and the stuff that they did leading up to that because it completely reversed direction mm-hmm. of the way everything was going. But I'd almost say, yeah, that referee moment is tied to the greatest angle. You could say the, you know, the, like the free birds, turn, you want to go old, old school, you know, uh, Michael Hayes turning the free bird, slamming the cage door in terms of like what led to great business and made you want to watch yeah. every week. But Hey, Bruno and Bruno and Larry put 40,000 in, Shea Stadium with the, the oldest story in the world, right? The jealous younger guy. So the it, the classics still work. Yep. Uh, well, this is fun. I appreciate it. Let's get you on uh, maybe like around WrestleMania time, and uh, we'll go we'll go more in depth. I uh, I could always talk about the old school stuff. I appreciate it. No worries, man. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Sean, and good luck in, uh, with the Celtics, and uh, hopefully uh, the uh, good times for Boston there uh, keeps going for you for the rest of the season. It'll be a fun year. All right. Take it easy. Thanks. You got it, man. All right. Take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation 
by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. All right, my thanks to Sean Grandy just there and earlier Ben Strauss for coming on today. And uh, like I said at the top of this podcast, dip into the archives if you want to hear from people like Chris Long, Kay Adams, Renee Young, Bomani Jones, all recent guests on the SI Media Podcast. They're all in the archives. Check it out. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Subscribing is very important. Please do it. And um, that will wrap up this edition. We will see you next week on the SI Media Podcast. Take care. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.